Well, hello and welcome back to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. We are the retro show that talks about all the great memories we have as baby boomers, the baby boomer years, the movies, TVs, radio shows, magazines, uh, the fads, all the things of the baby boomer years. We talk about them right here at Galaxy. You don't even have to be a baby boomer to join in and listen to us. All you have to do is know how to find us, and you must have found us because you're listening to us right now. I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. And we have an exciting show today. All our shows are exciting, some more exciting than others. But one reason why this show is exciting today, because we've got one of the original Galaxy Good Guys in the studio with us today, David Leonard. David Leonard is a top 40 radio author and historian, just a good guy. He's a fellow collector. We could go hours and hours talking about all the fun things we've had to talk about, but today we're going to continue our conversation with David Leonard on the subject of Top 40 Radio and all of the interesting ingredients that went into the perfect recipe for the perfect Top 40 Radio station. David, welcome back to the show. What, me again? Always happy to be here. Yes, you again. <laughs> it's that. In fact, David, we talked right before the show started about you appearing on the show, making your presence known on the show. Now, this will be six, number six. Number six. He leads the way. He, he leads the way. Dave Leonard holds the record on I our had show no for idea. guest appearances. Yes, so we're going to give him a coffee mug. A coffee mug, yes. Uh, the coffee mug won't say anything, but it'll no. be a coffee mug. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, ten for a dollar at the thrift store, and now we have nine. <laughs> I'll <laughs> treasure it. Please do, and uh, we'll throw in a decal of something. Of but something, yeah. <laughs> Dave, it's so good to have you yes. back here. And my one of my favorite subjects, not just because you're the powerhouse behind the subject, but because I grew up in the Southern California area, specifically Los Angeles. I grew up on Top 40 Radio. We've talked over and over off the air as well as on the air about all of the exciting things that went on in Top 40 Radio, from Boss Radio to the the wonder years of KCBQ to Color Radio, uh, Channel 98, 980 and, and uh, LA KFWB, and we're going to talk today about some of the nuances that people don't often think about. When you think of Top 40 Radio, you think of the DJs and you think of the music, but there was a lot of other ingredients that went into the perfect stew known as Top 40 AM Radio. Dave, take it away. Well, one of those aspects was radio jingles, and jingles were very important uh, in order to separate segments from news to music or to simply help identify a station. And let's face it, in the 50s and 60s and into the 70s, many stations played the same music, had interchangeable air personalities for the most part, that sounded very much the same. And it's the jingle that gave them the personality of what that station sounded like, and very important in terms of how the programming was packaged to the community. Let's listen to this jingle from Kogo Radio. The sound of the city, the sounds that are heard in the city of San Diego are mixed with brilliant desert sun and rolling 
southern sea When twilight settles on the city Golden sunshine fades away Mission bells ringing in the stillness Boats moving slowly across the bay Hear the sound of the city, the sounds that are heard in the city of San Diego. On K-O-G-O, San Diego. As you heard, that jingle is quite long and it is exactly one minute. While we listen to KCBQ or KGB or any number of the other top 40 stations in the 60s, Our parents listened to Kogo, and this song echoed throughout the house, and I am calling it a song instead of a jingle. It was packaged and produced by Hyler Ferguson of Los Angeles and sung by the Johnny Man Singers, who would pop up later. But yet, nostalgic-wise, this to me is the most familiar jingle growing up in San Diego. Dave, because this is so long, it's not really like a quick ID. When would they air this? Would they air this at the top of the hour during the day? I mean, it's not really a station ID. It's kind of like, like you said, it's more of a song. When would that air? Do you know when that would air? Top of the hour and particularly at 6 p.m. or 6 a.m. at the key points of the daily oh, broadcast. Okay. Okay. And there were shorter versions of it. Okay. But this was a particularly long version to convey the messaging of the station of, of the product that they wanted to get out over the air okay well you know what i think of the jingles i think of channel 98 color radio i think of 93 khj but the essence the original essence of the jingle production there were production companies who were basically marketing services the first one that comes to mind is probably the one that folks in top radio know because they've worked with and that was pam's exactly and that was that was a company invented actually by a radio guy. I think his name was Bill Meeks, and it was back in a Texas station, probably KLIF. He was an engineer, and he thought, you know what? To stay competitive in Top 40 radio, it's not just live performances and music now. It's excitement and energy. So he created a style based on orchestrations, uh, singing groups, a uh, a little quartet of people, and they would sing these jingles, and he would actually create them custom-made for each station that was his customers. What are your favorite Pam's jingles, Dave? The early KCBQ package right? Uh, that not only provided a station identifier, but it also provided an outlet for songs to be played in conjunction with each air personality for their shift. These were produced and aired at the time that Air Personality came on the air and was this leadway to uh, their programming. And again, we're talking about a minute, minute and a half song that's a lot of airtime that would have been unheard of a few years later. You mentioned PAMS. That stands for Production Advertising Merchandising Services. And although PAMS produced hundreds of musical jingles for merchants and advertising agencies, it was the station identification jingles that were the firm's specialty. And these were considered the grandfather of the radio jingle business, going back to 1947, as you said, in radio station KLIF in Dallas. There was also a person named Tom Merriman who worked with PAMS, 
and he would have a presence on his own, forming his own company later, and also having uh, a lot of input and, and influence into the San Diego jingle market. Well, you know what, Dave? I thought about the early days when I was listening on my little transistor radio, and the jingles were exciting, almost as ex- as exciting as the records that were played in the DJs, because they had a style to them. And you'll mm-hmm. through the uh, the nerve endings of your mind, even no matter how old you get, you always look back to the early days. And you're walking around, in my case, maybe Santa Monica Beach, and you're listening to 93 KHJ, but done as a music musical jingle. And you could never forget those. And each station had their own style because, as we mentioned with PAMS, they would basically lay out the idea, set the musical score for the idea, and then you, the station manager or the program director, could custom fit the message that you wanted to present based on the production. They were they were basically, long before digital, there was analog. And these were almost like the sound bed, the orchestrations, and you just put your message or your promo into them, and Pam's would create it custom-made to your style. There are a number, a number of online services on CD, CDs you can order and online subscription services. Not, a, not really a whole lot of services, but as this comes out, you're able to order those now and get some of those jingles and some even some of the full air checks of the shows. And we're going to go back. We've talked about this on previous shows. Tell us the difference between uh, getting a show, a show you grew up with. In my case, I was a big Casey Kasem fan. And rather than listening to the whole show, you can listen to just Casey Kasem talking and announcing records, and then you would get a jingle, and then you might get a news. Those are called scoped. Tell us the difference between scoped and unscoped. Scoped would mean that they have removed the actual song content. They play the introduction of the song and the conclusion of the song, but the focus of the scoping product is to the ear personality, the jingle, and any ads that fit that particular time sequence. So what you did was have everything except for the music so that you could get the personality of the station with the ear personality and the jingle. Here's an example of an early jingle in the San Diego market. This is from XEAK from 1958. And now, the song with the greatest hit potential, the pick of the week. You like this one, the little Deppers. The voice that you just heard was Lynn East introducing the song Forever. And you can actually hear this jingle or even download it from the homepage of my website by Googling Aircheck San Diego. And up will come Aircheck, the story of Top 40 Radio in San Diego. That's my website. Open it up and you'll hear this jingle. But the point of this also is the fact that you're hearing an a cappella sound, a choir or a group of four or five people. This would change over the course of the 60s to where you got into the Boss Radio package. They fine-tuned that sound to the extent that the voices sound like instruments themselves. And that was something that would evolve over the course of time with air checks. Here's another jingle from KDEO from the early 1960s. 
You're listening to the Ray Willis Program on much more music. Two minutes after one o'clock and much more music here on Radio Katie. be a recruiter there, will you? Just go up and snap somebody out of the arm and say, did you know that Ray Willis played 20 records this past hour? I mean, did you know it? Got the crest here. It's step by step. Much more music. One of the early users of the PAMS jingles was KCBQ in San Diego. After all, they were the first Top 40 station coming on air with that product in 1955. But jingles changed over the course of time to meet competition and listener demands. For instance, one of the aspects that was emerging was the advent of television and the station identifiers with television where you would visually see the station and identification right before your eyes. But when it came to radio, you were hearing an additional number of stations, additional stations that were stating the call letters, and it kind of got garbled in the listener's mind as to what station they were listening to because they were generally tuning out. So the idea was, and, and Pam's picked up on this, was to create a, a melodic background to calling out the station call letters so that it would be ingrained in the listener's mind. One of the interesting things that happened in early Top 40 radio in San Diego was what happened to KGB. KGB had an ABC affiliation in 1963, but they were also transitioning to Top 40 radio. They had the network identifiers stating the call letters of 1360 KGB, and of course it was a package that they were doing across the nation. But it was also something that was not embedding into the listener's mind. Also, the Top 40 transition was coming online, and it was not grabbing the audience at the, at the onset because all they were thinking of was an ABC affiliation with news at certain blocks of time and very familiar formats or programmatic formats that were not Top 40. So they were not grabbing the audience that they were seeking in teenagers at that time. That's when they started the advent of bringing back a melodic background for 1360 KGB. And here we have an example of that from the early days. Radio KGB, 1360. It's the station that's often imitated but never duplicated. Boss Radio in San Diego, the real KGB. We're going to play several of the KGB jingles spanning the years from 1965 to 1969. The thing to listen for in this segment is how shorter the jingles got over the course of time. At the beginning, they're going to say 1360, but at the end, it's going to be 136 KGB. Let's give a listen to that. Chuck Cooper, Radio KGB. 304 at Boss Radio, where you're in when you're on 1360, babe. Radio KGB. Steve J for the homeward bound on a Thursday afternoon. And 36 KGB. Bobby Hebb. Sonny, I love you. I'm uh, one in the Boss City for the third week in a row. That's Bobby Hebb and Sonny. Check in with Boss Jock Steve J at four this afternoon when he unveils a brand new Boss 30 and see if it makes it for four in a row at 1211 KGB. Time bomb time on the Bill Wade Show. And the hits just keep on coming. KGB, San it's 11 o'clock on a Bobby Ocean Saturday Night Show. Boss Radio, 136 KGB. KGB, San Diego. So, Dave, getting back to what you were saying earlier about when KGB had the ABC affiliation, it seems almost like uh, those two, the network 
days and now the top 40 days had two entirely different clocks as we call them in the in the radio business in other words network radio was very structured uh, top 40 radio was a little bit looser you know and you wanted things to move a little faster maybe that's one reason why these jingles got faster and faster as time went along as you look at some of the old radio logs in the newspaper the network radio affiliations generally pre-1955 had segments of time in blocks of 15 minutes and that's how people arranged their day and their listening habits to catch their 15-minute show throughout the course of the day. That went away with Top 40 Radio, where you have a continuous programming of music with intermixes of news and announcements to meet uh, federal regulations. And to merge those two into one station didn't work. You still had the older audience listening to the network feeds, and you had the younger audience listening to the music. And they just weren't reaching the desired audience with trying to blend those two together. And KGB went through a long learning experience to get beyond that. Well, that's a good point, too, Dave, because you go back to the early days of Top 40 Radio, and there were no niche stations like there are today. You talk about country radio today on FM, uh, as destroyed as FM is, but you've got different types of country radio stations. You've got new country, old country, contemporary country, urban country. In the early days we're talking about of Top 40, you had country. Uh, in Los Angeles, it was KLAC. Here it was what? KSON. KSON, but it was country. You would hear Hank Williams Sr., followed by whoever was whoever we want to talk about in the 70s and 80s or 60s, followed by another, Ernest Tubbs, and that was your country station. But you had massive audience levels. You had anyone anywhere interested in country music listening to one station. The audience levels, the audience count would have been incredible. It would be the envy of radio nowadays to get that many listeners. We talk about KCBQ. KCBQ would do the, the faster rock, the slower rock, they'd throw a Pat Boone in, followed by a Beatles in some cases, depending on who was doing the air shift. But KCBQ, you listened to KCBQ because it was KCBQ. You had your favorite DJs. The Housewives had happy hair. We're going to talk about that later on the show, some of the quirks and, and gimmicks and guffaws and, and weird zany antics of some top 40 DJs. But the KCBQ jingles told you, you were at your station. You were in the right place. The jingles themselves, now many will argue this. Bill Earl, I know you're going to be listening to this, and I know you're going to bombard us with Facebook responses because you're a PAMS guy. You're one of the notable experts on PAMS, so I'm sure you'll have some input. But, Bill Earl, I'm talking to you when I say this. Some of the jingles were basically highly produced musical songs themselves. Do you agree with that, Dave? Absolutely. And to expand that a little bit further, in the early days of KCBQ, pre-1965, was called Family Radio. And so each of the disc jockeys had their own theme song leading into their shift. KCBQ played music that was attractive to all age groups. For instance, in 1962, let's not forget, Lawrence Wilk had a number one song with Calcutta. Calcutta, yes. right. And so this was a market that was, in, in, top, in pure top 40, you're reaching into country western, you're reaching into classical, you're reaching into rock and roll. 
and you're educating people as as that goes along in terms of all the genres of music. But you need a jingle package that appeals to everyone, and that's what KCBQ was doing in those early years. And that's one of the reasons that Pam's was so successful as one of the first top 40 jingles producers, because you were being directed, as you say, uh, Dave, on family radio. You had the entire family listening to different parts of a top 40 radio station. You'd have Dad listening to the Lawrence Welk and dialing out when Bobby Rydell came on, perhaps, if there were teenagers in the family. I was too young in, in the six, until the late 60s to be a teenager, but there was music that uh, driving around in the car, going out on Saturday to the grocery store, that Dad, who was usually the driver, usually in a station wagon, most typically in an AM-only radio in the car, would just hit the button, hit Dodgers baseball, or get out of, in L.A., it was KFWB, if there was a song he didn't like. And we had some of the old-timers on KFWB. We had B. Mitchell Reed, uh, Elliot Field, some of the guys, uh, Joe Yoakum. And they had to be sensitive to the fact that you just didn't have 18 to 25-year-olds listening to your station on that Sunday morning. You had... You had 14-year-olds to 55-year-olds, and you had to have a little bit of something for everyone, which I do at, I tip my hat at this point to John Fox at Res Radio, who is one of the probably one of the last of the great programmers, because if you tune into Res Radio, which you can do on iHeartRadio, you can hear how programming was done back in the times we're talking about. He gives everybody who listens a little bit of everything. Nobody goes away unhappy listening, and that's how it used to be in programming. And matching the disc jockey to that day part was extremely important. For KCBQ, a couple of names that were typically housewife-oriented disc jockeys were Don Howard and Scotty Day. At night in the early days of KCBQ was Jerry Walker with his KCBQ quack quack shtick. So these people appeal to the age groups at the different date part segments because the teenagers would be listening at night, the housewives in the, during the day, and yep. there was a conversion of or a transfer of the audience during the afternoons. And they had to be sensitive to that to hold their audience throughout the day. And that is so true, Dave and Smitty, because growing up with Top 40 Radio being right in the almost dead middle of the baby boomer birth year era, I can tell you that on KFWB, I would come home from school, and my mom would be ironing the clothes listening to KFWB. But in the late afternoons when KFWB knew that all the high school kids were home from school doing their homework, things would start changing. Uh, you, would, you would go from Wink Martindale in the middle of the day, who was a housewife DJ, because that's who all the, all the homemakers listened to, and you would get to B. Mitchell Reed and later on Lord Tim and some of the more faster progressive stuff. But the stations lived on the basis of having a little something for everyone, like a big bag of trick-or-treat candy. You may not like the Kit Kats, but we're going to get you at the Three Musketeers because we're talking today on in, <laughs> it's on Halloween afternoon. That's right, it is. October 31st, and we're going to talk about some of the some of the neat tricks. But uh, let's talk before we move over to some of the shtick of the DJs. I, let's just talk a little bit about uh, on the subject of jingles, Dave. Some of the effects that were used. We didn't have all the digital toys. You couldn't just go down to Fry's Electronics with about 200 bucks and get yourself a radio studio uh, special effects piece of software. It was all done. It was all done on the workbench, so to speak, as far as electronics. Talk about some of the microphone filter effects, the reverb effects, 
some of the echo effects that made these jingles stand out even more than just, you know, a quartet singing the call signs. Jingles came in a package, and they had different sounds to that package. Right. We've been talking about the standard means of a choir or a group uh, singing out the call letters of the station. But there are other techniques that were used as a shorthand way of identifying the system, oftentimes being, as you said, a, a reverb or even a tone. One of the things that occurred in at KCBQ in the late 1960s was Gary Allen brought over a jingle package from KONO in Texas, and it simply had this tone that occurred at the top and the bottom of the hour. And it was tied to the Greenwich Mean Time so that people could literally set their clocks at the top and the bottom of the hour based on this tone coming over the air. And it got so popular that when it was removed, uh, people complained. But it was also a means to separate music from news and news from announcements. Very simple, very effective, and in many cases, something that stood out more, particularly if you were outdoors, of identifying the station that people were used to listening than a jingle itself. Let's listen to an example of that from KZBQ in 1968. San Diego, 59 degrees of Lindbergh Field, 53 in the El Cajon Valley. This is KCBQ News, a service this hour of Pan Am, the world's most experienced airline. Best of KCBQ, San Diego. It's 12 o'clock news in the heavy 1170. I'm Scotty Day. Good afternoon. Over the course of time, that tone concept was redubbed and lost its crispness over the year. So it lost the type of impact it originally did, and plus everybody was copying it. So that was taken out of production by the early 70s. But for that short period of time in the late 60s, it was a highly effective tool of identifying a station. There were a lot of other effects used in other parts of the, the day parts. I remember there were, there were guys who would fiddle around with old telephone receivers, the guys that were doing the traffic and weather, and they would get a, a piece of reflector material, put it over the mouthpiece, and it would sound as though when they give the weather, and I think I believe this was KRLA, it would distort the voice. The guy sitting there in studio reading the weather reports off the teletype, but it sounded like he was coming from the National Weather Bureau. It looked, sounded like a thousand <laughs> miles away, perhaps up in Minnesota somewhere, but it had that, that live, distinct, distorted, staticky sound <laughs> that lets you know, oh, this is really the weather. They're bringing it in live. And it was just a guy, in a lot of cases, guy, guys like uh, like Lee Marshall, bringing in the weather or the news. A traffic bulletin for those of you out in the freeway system of San Fernando Valley. It would sound as though it was a remote reporter. So those were little tricks. You can do those now with a small little box-sized uh, device or a piece of software, but you couldn't quite do it back then. You just had to rely on a good audio engineer and some creativity. But those put, those put a lot of top 40 stations 
in the forefront because especially bulletin. Bulletin was a very powerful word mm-hmm. in Top 40 Radio. Uh, but we're going to hold here, uh, or they'd interrupt a song with this bulletin, and you'd have shivers go down your spine about a bulletin. And it could be a fire in a warehouse across town, or it could be something of national importance. I remember the 62 Cuban Missile Crisis where stations would break into songs about the latest threat or the latest, uh, and now from ABC Radio in Washington, D.C., this bulletin, and you thought, okay, the nukes are coming. But that's how you had to have your own little culture and your own little creed, and it was a family for each top 40, and for that matter, any AM radio station at the time. Because, of course, on FM, during the times we're talking about, you basically got classical music and elevator music. So on AM radio, that was also your source for news. And even the jingles, you would have Pams that would introduce the news coming. And now the news. And I, we have some of those in, in a collection. We'll play those. But we also had the Cume boosters. They were Pams bringing call letters. And they'd bring the attention of the people who are not normally listening. And this is how they would build a listenership. The idea was to convert those people into listeners and thus increase the station's Cumes, which is their cumulative audience. And a lot of these uh, stations, and we talked about this on a previous show with you, Dave, as KCBQ, some of their contests where they would call out a series of, of address numbers of a house. And if you weren't listening and didn't call in in the five minutes because you weren't listening to that station, your neighbors who were listening or your friends would call you and say, hey, you missed, they called your house, your address, and you weren't <laughs> listening. So guess what? They got a brand new listener forever from that moment on. Exactly. This reminds me, too, of when we're talking about station identification of the stations located in Mexico that were broadcasting throughout California, like XEAK. And XEAK was, as it became XTRA, was sensitive about the use of the Spanish call letters. And so what they would do was do the XEAKRA Tijuana, Mexico, and follow that up with a ad or some kind of promotion of Mexico itself. So they've met their FCC obligation of advertising the station, but they have veiled it by adding some other element to downplay its Mexican connection. This, again, is something that Bill Earl, the guru of PAMS, has pointed out to me in the uh, techniques that stations used with their jingles package. Well, Dave, it's been so interesting talking about these little great little jingles and these these little elements that made Top 40 Radio so memorable to us. And those of us who, who listen to Top 40, 40, 45, even 50 years ago can still remember the jingles. We can't remember the songs too well, but we remember the personalities on the air and the jingles. And this was a change, a, a major change in American media communication and stuff that had never been heard on radio before because with the jingles and, and the fast pace and the number of records that were being played in an hour, the sound was fast paced, but it usually was without feeling breathless or rushed. It was perfectly orchestrated. And the apparent speed of presentation, even on the jingles, was often a product of geniuses about radio. They were learning as they went. Nobody really knew if Top 40 was going to make it. It lasted a long time before people who shouldn't have been in radio took over Top 40. But as we wrap up this section of, of Galaxy, we want to thank you. This has been amazing. Uh, there are so many resources. 
that address the world of top 40 jingles and breakers and line notes and, and rappers. You can get those. And before we move on to the second part of our show, remind us again on how we can get to your material, your, your great books, and also some of the online resources that are available. If somebody just wants to spend an evening and listen to the old jingles and the scoped air checks of your favorite guys, Casey Kasem, Whoever, Don Howard, there are places to get those. We're not going to leave you, the listener, empty and just get you hit you with this info and just leave you in a vacuum. Where can people find this stuff, Dave? Well, the print information behind the jingles is part of my book of Air Check, the Story of Top 40 Radio. You can find that by Googling Air Check San Diego, and the title of the book will come right up. If you wanted audio versions of jingles, the place to look is YouTube. Just punch in the call letters of your favorite station, and many of the jingles are there. If you want a subscription service to hear the scoped packages of the jingles in tandem, all together, to get, as well as the uh, uh, sound of the DJ that's introducing them, I would recommend Real Radio. It's a subscription service, but it's one that is a extremely uh, full collection of jingle packages. And we'd like you to know that many of the jingles which we have played for you on the show today, which you just heard a little while ago, are from the KCBQ CD, and that's by California Aircheck, and from the great radio stations in San Diego CD by our good friend Shotgun Tom Kelly. Now, both of these CDs are available at Dave's website, and you can get to Dave's website very easily by Googling Aircheck San Diego. And uh, if you go there and you do not have a copy of Aircheck, the story of Top 40 Radio in San Diego, do yourself a favor, order a copy for your library. It's an excellent book. We highly endorse it. It's a wealth of information. And you can order the CDs as well, uh, which contain many of the jingles which we've heard on our show today. As time went on, jingles became shorter and shorter until they disappeared entirely. We've mentioned the Boss Radio jingle package, which greatly reduced the time spent on air with jingles. That was even reduced further by the shotgun jingle in the early 70s. And by the mid-70s, stations stopped ordering them, perhaps because of a budget consideration, and PAMS ceased operation in 1978. Recently, Ted Ziegenbush, who was on air as Ted Wayne at 13K in San Diego, aired an air check of himself from 1982 on Facebook. And he kept mentioning the call letters at the beginning and the end of the song. So we asked him, didn't you have a jingle package by then? And they said no. At uh, 13K as well as XTRA, they had stopped using jingles in the late 70s. So that gave us an indication of the time frame of when they stopped being used until retro radio or Oldies Radio came back and reintroduced the jingle and the Johnny Mansingers for a new generation to hear and appreciate. And I'm sure they do appreciate that as much as we appreciate this whole section. We're going to do what, Smitty? Take a break? Let's take a break, Mike. Let's take a break. Why don't we have a retro-mercial? That sounds good to me. Well, okay. Uh, are you going to voice the jingle? No, I'm afraid I'm. <laughs> my pipes are not ready for that, but we'll okay. go to something pre-recorded. The world is safe. Hang on, folks. We'll be right back. 7-Up is all action. No matter what the time or place, let's keep up with that happy pace. Get real action. 7-Up, you'll thirst away. Get real action. 7-Up, you'll thirst away. Great lights, great, all of it. With 7-Up. 
Let's make a ball of it. With 7-Up. Any thirst you can get, 7-Up can quench quickly, completely. It restarts the natural moisture in your mouth. 7-Up is all action. With 7-Up, you'll quench your thirst. With 7-Up, you'll quench it first. Get real action. 7-Up, 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 you'll thirst away. Hi, this is Jack Vincent, and you are listening to Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network, and the program is Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. And I'm Gilbert Smitty-Smith, along with my good buddy, Mike Bragg. Our guest in the studio today is our equally good buddy, good friend, Dave Leonard, who's come back to join us. Uh, we're talking on this program about Top 40 Radio, as is usually the topic when Dave joins us, because he is uh, such an authority. Uh, that We spent the first part of our program talking about jingles that we used to hear on the radio stations, on our favorite radio stations, and how they evolved. Let's uh, turn to a little bit of a different topic now, also related, of course, to Top 40. We're talking about the ingredients apart from music that made the Top 40 stations. And, Dave, we want to talk a little bit about some of the personalities that we remember. And uh, some of them had uh, some very interesting shticks, some trademarks, some things that listeners remember either in dress or voice or things that they would say or a variety of things. Now, we're going to talk mostly about... Uh, some of the people who remember here in the San Diego area, a few national ones, but of course we want to make it clear to our listeners that uh, while we're focusing on San Diego, this same thing was happening in your neck of the woods wherever you grew up in the country where you had local personalities that had these little trademark things. So let's toss it back over to you so that we can talk a little bit about some of these people and some of their little shticks that they had. Well, important to any radio station in the Top 40 area was a distinctive name. And so radio stations wanted to avoid similar names and often required their staff to change their names if they came here or there's somebody on staff or had been on staff that had a similar one. We've mentioned that KCBQ went so far as to have theme songs to introduce their DJs at the very beginning. But one of the key ingredients with these kinds of personalities coming out on the air and and being very unique was having a free-form format where they would have time to display their personality over the air. So in that instance, Boss Radio KGB, we can rule out from the beginning because that was a very tight format and they had a specific lines they had to cover in a very short period of time. But KDEO was one that encouraged their early disc jockeys to display their talents in whatever forms that they were. And some of the early ones that actually worked together were comedy artists. Don McKinnon was considered the funniest DJ ever on the air in Southern California, and he was at KDEO in the early 60s. He had worked at KIOA in Des Moines, and then after he left San Diego, he got a promotion to KROY in Sacramento and went on to Los Angeles to do uh, a number of, of programs there. Sadly, he was killed in 1965 at the age of 32 in a car accident, but his humor on the air is considered the absolute best by anyone in the Southern California era. He had a colleague at KDEO at the same time named Don Bauman. Bauman wasn't with KDEO that long, but he also was a comic and went on to produce albums for country music and he was named the Country Music Comedian of the Year in 1968. While at KDEO, Don Bauman actually had a hit on the radio called Coward of the Alamo. 
and he was the original host of the radio show American Country Countdown, and he hosted the show from its inception from 1973 to 1978. He was a country music singer, songwriter, and comedian, as well as a radio host and DJ, and he went on to become the 1966 Favorite Country Comedy Recording of the Year, and in 1967, the Comedian of the Year by the Country Music Association. So his roots were definitely in country music. He also performed with Roger Miller, Willie Nelson, and other music stars. But the key thing about this is the KDEO encouraged their personalities to play out their shtick on radio, primarily through comedy, but oftentimes through other means. A little bit after their period of time, no less than Morton Downey Jr., made his appearance on KDEO. He had come to San Diego from KAFY in Bakersfield, just like Shotgun Tom did a few years later. And he had a shtick called Mad Lad Morton Downey Jr. Now, it's probably not as out of control as his TV show later was, but what he did was have the Mad Lad Marauders call into a show and receive commissions as colonels into his little army of listeners. Another personality at KDEO that wasn't so much shtick, but also justifies mention is Tom Clay. He was the songwriter and vocalist for What the World Needs Now is Love in 1970, where his part spoken and part sung, but he certainly make, had some roots in that particular station. Moving over to KCBQ, everybody remembers Happy Hair, or Harry Martin, as he was called until Don Howard renamed him at the station one day. Happy Hare was a wisecracker, always cracking jokes and making puns through his early morning show, and was a morning drive favorite for decades in San Diego. He was gone for a few years during that time, but came back and, and was as popular as ever. He was also quite a showman. There was instances where he did a parachute jump as part of a parade in San Diego, and he missed the parade and landed in somebody's pool. <laughs> Another personality at KCBQ is probably quite the opposite of Happy Hair and his good-humored fun was Lee Baby Sims and his storytelling capabilities. Lee Baby, I, I can remember the first night he was on the air, he was talking about coming from Cleveland. He was 24 years old. He was so happy to be in San Diego because Cleveland was a drag, and he went on and on and on about that and occasionally played a song, but he was allowed to do that because he was developing a rapport with the listeners. And he would oftentimes launch into storytelling, having nothing to do with the music he was playing, but at the same time spellbinding the listener to hear what was coming up next. One time he actually talked about receiving news just before going on the air, that his mother had died. And he talked about how distraught he was about not being able to talk to her before she died. And what's he going to do now with his mother out of his life? And after this is going on for quite some time, the listener is absolutely shedding tears over his loss. A lady comes on the line and, and says, Lee, baby, is that you? And he says, Mother, you've, you're alive. She says, I might as well not be for as little as you contact me. Huh. But Lee Baby also had his problems with uh, being freeform with advertisers. Uh, Beneficial Finance was a advertiser on KCBQ, and there were instances where he had used, taken a loan from Beneficial Finance, and it wasn't terribly a positive experience for him. So he so we referred to him after the ad as criminals, 
and that people should never do any business with this company. Of course, he was promptly fired, but with Lee Baby Sims, he was probably fired four or five times from KCBQ did, did he and make, came right did back. Did he say that on the air? Was he said the that on, wow. He was said that on the wow. air. That reminds me of uh, I mean, these personalities that uh, we've heard of that used to joke about their advertisers, like Arthur Godfrey, but of course mm-hmm. they would do it in a much more friendlier way. This sounds like it was quite a slap in the face to Beneficial. Did you have a situation where a, a DJ would say something beyond the script? Is there something memorable where they would add to it? Say, you talk about Lee Baby not liking the person. What if they really liked the person? I, I met a gal there the other night, and one of those, a lot of times in Top 40 Radio, some of the guys had the um, the privilege and the pow- the authority to ad-lib their own lines, ad-lib above and beyond what the director had given them in. Those things could get you fired as well. The good things you said. We always talk about some of the, uh, some of the guffaws and some of the mics that weren't supposed to be open. Some of the things that were said or done on on the air that were not supposed to be on the air. But some of the memorable DJs were memorable because I remember B. Mitchell Reed at KMET when the waterbeds hit big in the seventies, and he was talking about things that you could do on waterbeds. That probably would get the FCC ringing the phones off the hook, but B. Mitchell Reed, uh, he did it because, as they always say, he did it because he could. But you had uh, Happy Hair. Talk about some of the Happy Hair experiences and the guys who, uh, yeah, we're here today. Uh, we're alone with your wife until noon. Some of the things that made them who they were and made them the household name with their little audience niche, you know, their afternoon DJs, drive time. Uh, we talk about the real Don Steele, three o'clock on Boss Radio. But down here in San Diego, Dave, just some some of the audiences, how the DJs with their wackiness and their zaniness and some of their quirks actually attracted the type of audience that they were trying to build. Well, Lee Baby Sims was very unique, one of the best. And he he knew his had customers. no fear, no fear, and he knew his customers. Fired. Yeah. And he also had probably a neat sense of knowing he was going to get hired back in a not-too-distant future. One of the personalities late in the Top 40 era at KCBQ was Mad Dog Tony Maddox. And he not only promoted being with your wife in the morning, but they also carry that over onto the survey covers to point that out. was Here's the man with your wife in the, in the early morning or the late morning hours. So it was, it was part of the radio fun that they had being part of the theater of the mind. Well, and it was so much fun because the radio is an intimate medium. In radio, unlike television, television you're sitting around with your family in front of the, in front of the set watching something. Radio is typically the DJ talking to you, being in your car or with, as, a, as our famous pal Bill Earl, fellow good guy Bill Earl says, with that little eight-transistor radio stuck in your ear from the time you got out of school at 3 o'clock until the time that, basically the time you went to bed that night, it was intimate. It was that it was that DJ and you. And there was a close conduit. But to keep that loyalty, a lot of the DJs had physical uh, f- physical get-ups. So we could talk about Shotgun Tom with his smoky bear hat. Uh, back east, we had Mojo Man, who I put my air name after. Mojo Man, all he did, he he was an average guy and really good on the air, but his claim to fame, he just wore an old turban, an Indian turban with a jewel in the middle, and he was the Mojo Man. And uh, they would go out to uh, on location, 
grand openings. I remember when a strip center would open up, they would get one of the poor schmucks who probably was available that day and wasn't doing an air shift or doing a, a live remote shift and make the poor guy or gal go out there and entertain people. And when you knew your favorite DJ was going to be opening the shopper's market at North Figueroa and Avenue 45, that's how you were going to spend your day because you had to go see your guy. You heard him, and you didn't see him except on the surveys, but now you got to see him in person. And when you got there and saw him in person, boy, were you ever disappointed. You were almost as disappointed as he was disappointed for having to be there all Saturday morning when maybe he was either hungover or had uh, a young lady to meet up with later in the day. He did not want to be at that grand opening, but some of those guys with their shtick day, we'll talk about some of the antics that guys would do uh, some of the guys, some of the things the guys would do in studio. Talk about some of the DJs. Was it? Uh, oh, I don't know which one this was, but he was portrayed in the Buddy Holly story, I believe. Madman Mancuso. I don't think that was Barry Mankell, but he locked himself in the studio for what twelve hours and played the same song over and over again, till the station manager and the GM called the fire department. They had to axe the door down to get him out there and pull him off the air. That went on a lot in this country where they would play the same song over and over again. That was a lot of that was KFWB and the Beatles. That they would they get a Beatles song in and they play it thirty five times, and it would go crazy. But some of the th- crazy things the guys would do on the air and it right into some of the shtick where uh, some of these guys would make uh, phone calls, crank phone calls. Uh, this was big in the Midwest, but how did it happen? Did you have guys that you recall in some of your books and some of your memories and your research that would actually make harassing calls? They would they would get on the air and, and dial the phone and call somebody, and they would either mimic a voice. Uh, in, back, in Oklahoma, it was Roy D. Mercer, and he'd call up, and he'd call the chief of police in some small town and, and threaten them. But uh, just some of the shtick where... You would tune in to that shift for that three hours because you didn't know who the guy was going to call or who, who he was going to mess up on the phone. Well, Dave, we could talk all day about all of the colorful characters who made Top 40 Radio what it was over the years, but we're going to save the best for last. And that's a terrible cliche, but a cliche applies only when it benefits on this show here. And we're here on a Halloween Eve, Halloween afternoon. 2015 tonight courtesy of our good friend john fox over at res radio guess what speaking of southern california radio none other than wolfman jack is coming back to the airwaves and if you have a smartphone and an iheart account you can listen to the wolfman anywhere on the face of the earth just sit up on that speaker and vibrate baby but you know what we got to talk about wolfman here as we end this show wolfman was probably one of the inspirations for every dj that came up from this from the early 60s right on through and wolfman remains probably the benchmark of on-air top 40 stick and style persona color entertainment comedy pathos and everything in between tell us about wolfman since he's coming back on the air tonight at six o'clock wolfman jack had his own niche his own following in from xcrb blasting through virtually all parts of california and was widely acclaimed for his uh, showmanship. I have to admit, I was n- never acquired a taste for the music that he played, but when you were out at a picnic, or you uh, were at a uh, uh, any kind of fishing, any kind of outdoor event where you heard somebody playing Wolfman Jack, your attention automatically stopped on everything except Wolfman. 
and that was my he was a, talk about an image of that was totally what you wanted to invent within your own mind that was wolfman jack and it wasn't until american graffiti that people actually started to see the real man and actually playing himself in a, in a studio he had so much versatility and he was such a showman his name was bob smith robert smith and you know john fox has done quite a study on the life and times of wolfman he said he was a very docile very quiet very very shy guy off the air but on the air he would go nuts just like an american graffiti but the best part about the Wolfman, and this is something I wish we had more time to discuss this, but he was one of those DJs, he would get on the phone, he would have callers come in. I'm often wondering, looking back I mean, the last 40 years of my life, uh, thinking in terms of the Wolfman, were these people who called in, were they staged, were they set up? Because he had some people, I know he had the one lady sitting on the speakers, sit on those speakers now, listen, and uh but he had callers, and the best part, because I didn't care for the music either. I, I won't say I didn't care, but there was music I would rather be listening to. But you listen to the Wolfman to hear the Wolfman, because he just went totally off the wall insane. He'd come on at 6 o'clock at night and go to midnight, one of the few DJs who had six-hour air shifts. And he'd blast it from one of those big flamethrowers down south of the border. And I remember going deer hunting with my dad up in Utah up out of Salina, Utah, and at night you could hear KFI and you could hear the Mexican flamethrower stick with Wolfman Jack. Well, my dad would rather listen to KFI, but after he went to sleep, it was Wolfman Jack, and you could hear him howling, and I can still remember the howling, but those people that would call in, he would goof on them, and that was his trademark, and there will never be another guy like Wolfman. Everybody else, to me, start, were styled after the Wolfman, but... Do you see personalities coming back like that ever again in American radio? No, because it re unless it is a station they own and operate and can control the entire content themselves and have advertisers to pay for it. My memory of Wolfman Jack, too, is that I was in grade school at the time, and fellow students would come to, to school and virtually repeat everything he said the night before because they were listening all night, and they, he had a... Means of stating things or using phraseology that was repeatable that people... Uh, understood and comprehended and could remember the next day. The other thing that's memorable about Wolfman Jack is after his debut to the masses on American Graffiti, he then hosted the oh. Midnight Special. Yeah, okay. And he also had the special wardrobe of the black hat, the black cape, and really looked the part and was worth staying up for after Saturday Night Live to enjoy seeing Wolfman every Saturday night in the late yeah. 70s. Yeah, he made the transition over from radio to television, which few radio people have been able to do. Wink Martindale's one who pulled it off, but I think Wink Martindale was born for television. But, you know, it's, we've run out of time so fast in this show because we get going on radio, especially on Top 40, and get a flamethrower like David Leonard here oh. in the studio. <laughs> Uh, we can go on and on. We could do a three-hour special. We could do like the Wolfman pull a six-hour air shift without a problem if the uh, the stacks in the towers down in Mexico were beaming out 100,000 watts, making your teeth glow and your eyes bug out. But we do want to thank you folks for listening in. Uh, this has been a 
podcast, which will also appear on Res Radio, because that's where our home is, away from home here in El Cajon, California. You can catch us on Facebook. Please like us on Facebook. That's where all the information gets to you about shows, future shows, past shows. You can download this show as well as all the others we put up. Our Facebook is Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. Email is galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com. The website is Galaxy Moonbeam Night Site. Remember, folks, that's S-I-T-E dot com for the website. And until the next time, I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. I'm Dave. And listen to us. Come on back soon to Galaxy Moonbeam Night Site right here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.